So Acts chapter 2 and 17. And Peter gets up here on the day of Pentecost. And he is declaring God's plan for the church. He's, he's outlining, this is what God's going to do. And I don't have time to read all of his message, but I want to bring out an important part of it. He said in verse 17, It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. He says this, this thing that God is doing in the church is transgenerational. He said, I'm going I'm to speak and work through young people, through children, through adults, through, through old people, but I want you to see the kind of things that God said he was going to do. He said, I'm, I'm going to cause young people to, to see visions. I'm going to cause old men to dream dreams. Amen. Pastor Brent's a dreamer. Amen. <laughs> I'm still seeing visions. How many still seeing visions? Amen. I'm just kidding. But he said, I I'm going to speak through visions and dreams. Did you know that God is a visual God? He loves to speak to us visually. That He loves to plant dream seeds in our lives and our hearts. I wonder how many of you have ever had just kind of a dream you couldn't get away from. Just something you saw on the inside that somehow you knew it was bigger than you or more than you just coming up with an idea, but somehow that there, were, there was something divine that was planted on the inside of you. It doesn't have to be ministry or pastoring or, you know, being an evangelist. Sometimes we think that those are the big dreams that God gives us. Man, I, I went to a mechanic this week. Uh, Lori, her car, it kept saying, uh, B.O. service needed. And I thought, man, this car didn't smell that bad. It, it smells fine. B.O. service. We couldn't figure out what that meant. We looked it up. We couldn't figure out. And I went to my mechanic. And my, our mechanic, he loves working on cars. He just, he can't wait to see the next car that shows up. And every time I go there, he's got a smile on his face and he comes out and well, let me take a look, Blaine. He looks at it and said, oh, I know what's wrong. And in five minutes, he had it all figured out. Totally figured the whole thing out. Thank God for a man that has a dream of fixing cars that just senses like this is what I was made to do. And he brought joy into my life that day. On the other hand, you can see people that are doing jobs and it's not their dream. You know, the customer service isn't really that good and you can just see they're frustrated and they really probably shouldn't be there. God wants to plant something real and help us to get to that place wherever he wants to take us. Paul said in Acts 26 and verse 19, he said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. In other words, he said, I saw something that God showed me. I saw, I saw a vision of, of something to come. And, and he said, I, I, I've been obedient to that. And so what has God planted in your heart? Maybe he's planted something you forgot about. Maybe there's something that you need to uncover again. Or maybe there's something he wants to drop as a seed in your heart. You know, Paul prayed a prayer for the uh, church at Ephesus. And there's so much in this prayer. It's a prayer that I pray over uh, my family and my sons and my wife and, and this uh, community. And I pray even over myself. And it's such a powerful prayer. And I want you to see something in particular that he said in verse 16. He said, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse number 16. He said, I, I, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and what? Revelation. It's 
said, I'm praying that God reveals himself to you so that you may know him better. In verse 18, check this out. I pray that the eyes of your heart, did you know that your heart has vision? That your heart has eyes? That we see with our heart? He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, the lights would come on, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you to, the riches of the glorious inheritance in his holy people, his incomparable great power for us who believe, the power that is the same power that is mighty in strength, which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above rule and authority, power, dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in that one which is to come. He said, I pray that your eyes would be enlightened, that your heart would see what the hope of God's calling is in you and that you've got the power through him to carry that calling out. If you're like me, there's probably been times in your life where you've just kind of wandered, just kind of like the children of Israel, just kind of wandering in the wilderness, not really sure where you're going, not kind of without some purpose and direction, just kind of surviving rather than moving forward. And that's an awful place to be in your life. I've been there. It's kind of like the cartoon I saw years ago. Charlie Brown and Lucy were in this cartoon page and Charlie Brown had a bow and arrow. And Charlie pulled back that bow in the first frame and shot that arrow. The second frame, you see the arrow hitting the fence. And in the third frame of the cartoon, you see Charlie Brown with a can of red paint painting a bullseye around the arrow. And that's so often what we do in our lives. We just kind of, you know, we're, we're shooting in the dark and we're hoping something hits and we get it. Oh, I guess that's what I'll settle for. When God wants to put something purposeful in our lives, seeds into our future. There's an author who's really quite an amazing author. He's got a great name. Uh, his name is Ashley Brilliant. <laughs> Wish I had a last name like that. That would be so awesome. Ashley Brilliant or Blaine Excellent. Or, you know, it would be great if you had a, like a name like that. But, 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 but this is his real name. And, and he's an older man now in his 80s. But he was really popular during the uh, kind of summer of love in 1967. He would, he would stand at Haight and Ashbury and, and he would uh, just speak poetry and speak words. And, and he became uh, very, very popular for, for quotes that were 17 words or less. And this is one of the quotes I love of his. He said, my life has a superb cast, but I can't figure out the plot. How many of us have ever been there where we've kind of got this cast around us like we, we live in this wonderful place, we're in this great community, we've got good family, we've got friends, we've got that, and we're like, okay, what's the bigger picture here? What is the plot? What is God up to? What is God wanting to do? So as we ask those questions and we kind of are figuring out the plot of our life, I want to take you through a short story this morning. And it's the story of a young man in the Old Testament. His name is Joseph. And we're going to see that Joseph had some dreams a few weeks ago, I, I talked about Jacob and how God gave him a new name, Israel, and he wrestled with God. And as Jacob uh, grew, he, he, uh, he, he had children, and Joseph was one of his children. In fact, one of his youngest, the second youngest child he would have. And so read it with me in Genesis 37 and verse number one. Look what it says. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob. Joseph 
a young man of 17 was tending his flocks with his brothers and the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah and his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. So Joseph, you know, kind of goes to his father and tells on his, his brothers and, you know, kind of, you know, gets them in trouble. And so now it says, verse three, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Now that's not good. It was true, but it wasn't necessarily good. Uh, but he did. He favored Joseph. And uh, Joseph, for some reason, he loved him the most. And it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he was richly or he made a richly ornamented robe for him. Another uh, translation of that verse is a, a coat of many colors. So he gave him this amazing coat. Verse four, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word. So his brothers didn't like the fact that their father favored Joseph and they began to hate him would not say one kind word. Now, some of us have had brothers like that or sisters like that, but I promise you probably never had a brother or sister that would never even say one kind word that always hated you. This is where Joseph was. And it says, Joseph had a dream. It says, when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. So he's, he's got this dream from God and he tells his brothers they hated him even more. And it says, well, here's, here's why. Because he said to them, Listen to this dream I had. He goes around and says, hey, guys, come here. Come on in the living room. I had this dream. It's amazing. I want to share it with you. So they gather around. He says to them, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf arose, stood upright, while your sheaves were gathered around mine and bowed down to mine. Now we know why they hated him all the more. <laughs> Who knows how they responded to that? I'm sure they let him know what they think. Didn't stop there. His brother said to them, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of the dream that he had said to them. And then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers again. He said, listen, I had another one. And this time, the sun, the moon, the 11 stars, speaking of the 11 brothers, were all bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? So this time, he gathers mom and dad. He says, oh, by the way, you're going to bow down too. Now, were these dreams of God? Yes, without a doubt. Should he have shared them so openly with his family? Maybe not. Joseph was 17. I want you to get that. Think about that. This is real. He was 17 years old. He was young. He was enthusiastic. He was a little bit immature. Do we have any 17-year-olds in the house this morning? Anyone 17 right there? Stand up, please, 17-year-old. And what is your name? Calder is 17. This kid's a good-looking kid. He's got a tie on this morning. He's looking sharp. 
but he's young, you know, he's not, he's not shaven yet. Maybe he is just a little bit, you know, he's still figuring out some stuff. And so you can imagine if, if, you know, you're in your twenties and, and this kid starts telling you, you're all going to bow down to me. You're going to serve me. It's all about me. You might get a little bit mad too. Thank you, caller. I know you're not like that, but, um, so they were upset and yet somehow we're going to see this morning these dreams came to pass. And there were, I, I think, just five really quick things that I think Joseph had to live into for these dreams to come to pass. Number one, he had to live into a life of faithfulness. Faithful to the voice of God, faithful to nourish those dream seeds that were put inside of him. You know, dreams can be aborted. Dreams don't always come to pass. We have something to do with it. It's like a, a God and us marriage where he works his work, but he, we do our part. There's, there's, there's this thing of, you know, this dance with God that we've, we've got to participate in. Moses was told to uh, part the Red Sea, but, or not part the Red Sea, but put out his rod, and God parted the Red Sea. And, but Moses had to put the rod out. There's our part, which is always the easy part. And then there's the God part, which is always the hard part. But he asked us to participate. And so there was this faithfulness that Joseph had to live into. And the Bible says that he was tending his flocks with his brothers. He was faithful in his work. He was serving his father. He was serving his family. He wasn't just off kind of doing his own thing, that he was participating in his family. And he was working with fellow employees that absolutely hated him. His brothers, they did not like him. And when he punched out the clock, he had to go home to the same brothers. So he was hated all day long, and yet he continued to be faithful and attend those flocks. There's a faithfulness that God is looking for from us in helping us to pursue those dream seats. Jesus said in Luke 16, 10, he said, if you're honest in the small things, he said, you'll be honest in the big things. If you're a crook in the small things, well, you'll probably be a crook in the big things. If you're honest, if you're not honest in small jobs, who will put you in charge of the store? So he's making this point that, that God is looking at how you deal with the little things before he'll entrust us with bigger things, that little things lead us to other things. Lori and I and, and uh, our family, mom and dad, uh, we were celebrating my mom's birthday the other night, and uh, we went to the Cheesecake Factory because that's one of her favorite places, and, and, and we like cheesecake. So, so we were eating, and we had this waitress, and I swear she was the best, we all said it after, she was the best waitress I think I've ever had in my life. Now, if you're a waitress and I've seen you somewhere, maybe I just, you know, I'm not taking anything away from you, but, uh, but this waitress was unbelievable. She was so nice and so full of energy and, and so helpful and, you know, just filled your waters and just coming back and bought this beautiful birthday cake and they all sang and she was just amazing. And, and she treated that job like she was president of our, of our country or like she was a CEO somewhere. I mean, she valued it. She treated us like royalty. And I remember looking at my dad after and saying, you know what? She's not going to be here long. Somebody's going to hire her. If we needed an employee, I'd be saying, here's my car. Would you come work? She is, is being so faithful in that work as a waitress, and she's going to be promoted. There are other things that are going to come her way. That's why the Psalm 
says in 37 and 23, it says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. And he delights in every detail of their lives. He looks for our steps. He directs our steps. You notice it doesn't say that he directs the flying leaps, the big jumps. I'm going to get to this thing overnight, you know. I'm going to, you know, do this. I'm going to do that. This thing's going to happen. No, it's just one faithful step after another. And as we keep stepping forward and doing the faithful thing, God blesses. Second thing, we need to create time and space for God to work in our imaginations. We've got to kind of set aside time for God to speak to us, for God to reveal things. And you know, it doesn't mean we'll always hear his voice or we'll see something, but over time, God will begin to work his work. Habakkuk chapter 2, the prophet uh, is, is writing here and speaking, and he says, I will stand, verse 1, on my watch. I will stand on my watch. That's not what he was saying. Uh, but he was saying, I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in a place where I'm going to be on watch with God. He said, I will set myself on the rampart, and look what he says, and watch to see what he will say to me. Isn't that kind of weird? Watch to see what he will say to me. To me, so in other words, the things that God says often incite our imagination. It, it's, it, it helps us to see things that we haven't seen. He said, "I will answer when I'm corrected." And then the Lord answered me and said, "Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for appointed time." We'll stop there. But God delights in this. He, he, he speaks to Habakkuk. He, he reveals something to him because Habakkuk created space for God to speak. Have you been creating space for God? Maybe in your car on your commute in the morning where you just turn that radio off and you just say the Lord's Prayer and you say, Thy will be done. God, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, speak to me today. Let your will be done. It may be just finding some quiet time in your home before you go to bed, or maybe it's getting up a little bit early, and it doesn't have to be long, extended periods of time, but just saying, God, here's some time. I open my heart. I allow you to speak. I remember when I was uh, just out of high school, I was probably 19 years old, I went to my dad, and my dad had this uh, camper, kind of truck camper, and I, I said, can I borrow your truck camper for, for a weekend? And, and uh, he gave me the keys, and I, I went out to... Uh, the mountains where we lived in, in uh, Banff and uh, in Alberta and got out to the mountains and I just took uh, kind of a, uh, you know, a, a day and a night and then the next day just to pray and to read the scripture and to listen to the scripture on tape and to uh, write things down and just kind of to, to listen. And it was just a new experience. I'd never done that before. And, and honestly, uh, there, were, there were moments in that day and a half I, I kind of got bored and I was like, this is a little bit hard. I didn't realize, you know, uh, you know, there's only so much reading and praying and stuff that I can do. And uh, some of it was just being silent and kind of walking around the woods. And, and, uh, but I, I just, I just, I, I bent into that discipline. I remember coming back and I, I thought I was going to come home with this amazing revelation of what God had for me and the whole future would be mapped out. And, and I came home with nothing. It was just nothing. And yet there was a, a deeper sense inside that there was something stirring that the purposes of God had kind of been stirred up in my soul. And so I 
I kept leaning into that, and I would, I would, you know, just begin to take time as a, as a young man to begin to pray. And I never forget. This is over time. It didn't happen in one moment. But over time, God began to give me this vision, this dream, this idea, this visual of ministering to teenagers through the media. And I began to see myself uh, preaching and speaking and doing drama and and, and, and music and all in this television format. And, and I remember part of the way he, he kind of, you know, spun this off in my heart is I remember seeing Oral Roberts when I was just a young man. And, and for those of you that remember Oral, when he first started, he used to do uh, nationally broadcast TV programs on major networks, not on Christian stations, not on Christian networks, but he'd do these uh, well put together uh, programs and they reached out to the lost and the hurting and the broken and they were powerful, powerful broadcasts. And I thought, man, it'd be so awesome to, to do that for teenagers and I just kept stirring that vision and that dream seed and praying over it. And I, I began to try to take faithful steps to do it. I remember my uh, church back in Canada, they had two TV cameras and some lights and, and a little edit suite. And so I got with, I said, hey, I, can we do a children's program out of the church here? And they said, well, if you want to try it and figure it out and get camera operators and write it and make scripts. And so I did all that. We put a little show together. We had puppets and drama and music. And it was called Positively Puppets powerful. It was on cable access in Calgary, Alberta for several months, seen by several people. But it was a beginning. And it was during that season when we were doing Positively Puppets that a man came to my church he was a children's minister. He came to do a conference. And my, my children's uh, Sunday school superintendent asked me to pick him up and give him a ride and take care of him and help him set up his table and do all of uh, the things that he needed help with. So I looked at the brochure and I looked at this man and, and uh, he had two first names, Willie George. And I, okay. I met him and I took him around and I found out that he was going to do this children's television show called The Gospel Bill Show. <laughs> How many remember Gospel Bill growing up maybe as a teenager? And so I got to know him over the weekend and at the end of that weekend he said, you know, if you ever come to Tulsa, look me up, I'll put you to work. Well, what was the likelihood of a kid in Calgary just kind of dropping by Tulsa 2,000 miles away? But a couple months later we decided to go to school in Tulsa, and I looked him up. And over the course of a couple of years, God began to knit our hearts together and open up the door for us to do a television program for teenagers that would follow on the heels of the Gospel Bill Show to reach young people. We started with 300 little videos that went to churches around the country sent out that first program. The budget was probably a buck 95. I mean, we, we just raised money and found ways to do television and we sent those 300 videos out. And within four years, we were sending out 5,000 videos a month to churches and homes. And then all of a sudden, networks and cable systems began to broadcast it. The uh, armed service network broadcasted. It went into other countries and it began to reach millions of people. But it started just with this little dream seed, this prayer seed this taking steps and doing something called positively puppets and just saying, God, one step at a time. 
open up. Give God space in your life. You never know what he might have in mind. The third thing is we need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because dreams take us into places we haven't been before. Visions take us to places we've never, ever tread before. And so we're going to have to be okay with being uncomfortable, kind of getting out of our shell and our skin and our box and saying, okay, I'll try this. I'll go there. God, if you're in this, I'll, I'll take this next step and I trust that you'll be with me and I'll trust that you'll give me wisdom. But God, yes, I'm willing to be uncomfortable. And Joseph was very uncomfortable in two, probably more moments in this, but at least two moments in his life. And they both had to do with coats. Says that he was given this coat of many colors, this richly ornamented coat. Do you know that the Hebrew translation for that is, is this uncertain coat? It was a, a little bit of a coat of uncertainty for him because this coat was a, a coat of royalty. It was, it was a coat of leadership. In fact, the only other time this word coat is used in the Old Testament was when God gave this coat to Tamar, King David's daughter, and it was a, a, a coat of royalty. And so there, it was, and that's why his brothers hated him for having this coat is because it was like he was preferred, he was royal, he was graced, he was blessed, he was favored by his father. And yet God wants to cloak us in his grace cloak us in his love. And that may be uncomfortable for some of you. It may be hard for you to believe that God loves you, to believe that God wants to grace you. You may look to your past or look to an event or look to a sin or look to a lifestyle or look to something that you've done or maybe it just be, maybe that you've grown up all of your life being told that you, you're, you are nobody or you won't amount to anything or you just had a, a terrible upbringing on some level and yet God is wanting to cloak you with his love and his grace and his goodness and say, I care about you and that may be uncomfortable. You may have to get beyond that. You may have to get to a place where you accept that and embrace that and believe that because if you don't believe God loves you, you don't believe that he's for you, you don't believe that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God, you'll never get to where he wants to take you because you won't trust him. You've got to lean into that trust and lean into his love and lean into his grace and say, God, this isn't about me. This isn't because of me. It's because of you. Love me into this new life that you've given me. And then the second coat really made Joseph uncomfortable because it wasn't long before Joseph's brother said, you know what, we're done with this guy. He's a big head. He thinks he's going to be this great king and this incredible guy. And so we're getting rid of him. And uh, about 10 of the 11 brothers voted to kill him. We're just going to kill him. Let's kill him, make him die. And one brother kind of stood up for him and said, no, let's not kill him. Let's just uh, sell him. <laughs> Let's make like he got killed. Let's uh, pretend like he got killed, put blood on his coat, tell dad that the wild, wild beast killed him, but we'll secretly sell him, so at least we'll profit from it. So they, they sold him to some merchants. Merchants came along, they sold their brother. Brother took off, or they took the brother off, and the, bro, and the merchants sold him to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was a great businessman in that time. Potiphar uh, made him a slave in his house. Joseph eventually worked up to the very top slave. If you're going to be a slave, be one of the best. So he was 
one of the top slaves, in fact, became the top uh, business manager slave in Potiphar's house. So he just continued, like I said, to be faithful. And all of a sudden, Potiphar went away one weekend, and Potiphar's wife came to Joseph and said, I want to lie with you, Joseph. And she, she didn't want to have a nap. Uh, she, it was more than that. And Joseph said, no. And she said, yes. And he said, no. And they kept going back and forth. And finally, she grabbed him, said, yes. And he said, no. And he ran from her. And as he ran, the Bible says she grabbed his coat, ripped it off, and he kept running. He didn't go back for it. He just kept running. He's in his hands, just, you know. (laughs) Can you imagine? That would be uncomfortable. And then it didn't end there. Potiphar got home and his wife said, hey, he tried to rape me. She made up a false story. He was put in prison, the lowest prison you could be put in. Lost everything. Sometimes we think that, you know, if God's really in this, if God's really a part of this, there won't be any trials, any tests, any suffering, any difficulties, but there will be some uncomfort. There will be some challenges along the way. It all won't be a golden street to the end of the rainbow where God has this amazing pot of gold. There will be challenges, and God will give us grace to be up for those challenges. In fact, we'll fail along the way will make mistakes because we are human, because we are men and women who need the grace and love of God. We will fail, but God will pick us up again and again to continue to the destination. And then number four, a dream brings a persevering impulse to your life. I love that when God gives you a purpose and a dream, there's this perseverance that comes with it. Let me read the very last part of that Habakkuk verse, Habakkuk 2 and verse number 3. It says, for the revelation is for an appointed time. It's going to come. It says, in the end, it will, uh, it will speak in the end. It will not prove false. And look at the last part of this verse. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Now, that doesn't make any sense. And it's okay if you read something in the Bible. It doesn't make sense to ask God Why? So I'm reading that, and I, though it tarries, wait for it, this dream, this vision, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Wait, you just said it will, will tarry, and then you said it will not tarry. So which is it? Is it going to tarry? Is it not going to tarry? What the tarry is going on, you know? So, so, so I, I got curious. I was like, I, I want to know what, so I looked up the word tarry. And you can do this online. Try it. You can go online. You can find a Strong's Old Testament uh, resource online, and you can look up these, these words in, in the actual Hebrew. So the, the two words are, are two different words. Even though they're translated as Terry, they're slightly different in both cases. So Terry 1, where it says, though it tarries, is actually translated, though it be questioned. It will surely come to pass, and it will not... Terry 2 is translated, it will not be hindered. So it's like this. Though it be questioned, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not be hindered. That's the translation. 
Now, your, your vision will be questioned. You'll question it. Others will question it. You'll wonder if it's ever going to happen. You'll wait and wait and wait. You'll see steps. And, and yet, God says, listen, if you continue, if you wait for it, if you persevere, it will surely come. It will not be hindered. It may take a month, may take a year, may take two years, depending on what it is. It may take a lifetime. You know, as you read the story, you'll see that Joseph's vision did come to pass. It came to pass in a way he never dreamed it would come to pass, but it came to pass. When he was 30 years old, he was put as second in command to Pharaoh. Second in command, which is what his dream was. 30 years of age. 13 years later, he gets put in charge. But you know what? The vision still hadn't come to pass. Because even when he was put in charge, his brothers hadn't come to him yet. Do you know his brothers didn't come until he was 44 years of age? 27 years later, finally, there's a famine in the land. Two years into the famine, his brothers who are starving and their family in Israel, they come and they, 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 they don't even know it's Joseph. They come and they come to Pharaoh and J- Joseph is the administrator for Pharaoh and administrating food for the family. And they, they, they come to him and he knows who they are, but they don't know who he is. And they come and they get on their knees. They say, sir, please, we just need some food. We'll we'll do anything. Just please give us some food. Oh, we we beg of you. We need food for our family. And they got on their knees. And I love Joseph's response. He doesn't, ha, 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 there you are. (laughs) Oh, it's happened now. Here I am, I am Joseph, and you are bowing down, you know. Look how great I am. He's now 44. He's matured. And that brings us to the very last thing that I think we need to see. Put it up there, guys, because I don't remember it. Uh, (laughs) Our dreams are not really about us. So he gets them, and he says in verse number 5 of Genesis 45, And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. He's 44 now. He's grown. And he says, you know what? This wasn't about me. He doesn't even talk about the fact that they're bowing and he's over them. He says, I'm so grateful you're here, that I can be a part of your salvation, that I can be a part of your deliverance. And this was all about saving lives. This was all about others and not about me. And somewhere along the way, as we begin to pursue our dreams, we may pursue them for all kinds of reasons, for selfish gain, for ego, for whatever. And God will kind of work to form in us while we're in that pursuit something greater. That each and every step we take towards the things that God has put in our our, our hearts, that they'll they'll have an impact in the lives of others. They'll bring glory to God. They'll, They'll extend the kingdom of God. They'll bring grace into the lives of others. So, Father, 
Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Drop dream seeds from heaven into the earth, into our lives. God, where people have been discouraged and purposeless, maybe hopeless, God, let there be seeds of hope. Where people today in this room have been frustrated and maybe angry and wondering, why am I here? What have I done? How have I failed God? May you give them seeds of grace and restoration, newness of life. God, where people have been frustrated with their work and their things that they put their hands to and somehow sensing there's something more that God, you begin to drop those seeds of more. Where people have looked into their families and said, God, our family isn't where it should be or our marriage. God, would you drop seeds of hope and grace for a future in that home? God, we admit and we declare that it's not about us, God. It's about you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.